bastard. Good afternoon. Actually, good morning. Normally, we start the show at 3.30, uh, but we're doing a little different today, so we're going to start at 11 a.m. Uh, joining me in studio, I have Mike Minazzi, uh, or Michael or Mike? Uh, Michael's fine. Michael? Okay, so Michael Minazzi, um, active duty military, correct? Yes, yes sir. And tell us what uh, branch of uh, the military you're in. Uh, United States Air Force. Air Force, as I can see on your hat, but yes. maybe for podcasts and stuff uh, down the road. So, Michael, um, you're a Youngstown native. Yes. Uh, or tell, tell us, like, where you're from and, like, some of your roots from this area. So, I'm born in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, my First couple years of life were on Seventh uh, Street and Struthers, okay. and then uh, the, my family, uh, you know, some changes happened, and we moved to Boardman, which is where I went through all my schooling in uh, 2005. Graduate of Boardman High School. Uh, throughout my youth, though, I spent a uh, vast amount of time at my grandmother's house off of Atkinson on the east side. So I had a quite a bit of the Youngstown experience as well, just because, and and I think I'm better for it. And uh, so I've been around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So so. Where where are you at now? Where are you living now? Uh, so currently, I'm assigned to San Diego, California. Wow. Okay. Yes. A little bit. Uh, I mean, you're getting the Youngstown Grays today, but uh, San Diego, uh, probably from what I've heard, one of the nicest places in the country. It really is. But to be completely honest, since I've come back to Ohio, uh, you know, being in Columbus and I was at Tiffin yesterday and now uh, then Cleveland, now Youngstown, <laughs> uh, it's the weather's been very nice. It's It's been very almost like perfect fall weather. Mm hmm. And and you're a runner, and we'll we'll get in and a competitor in with lots of distance, um, walking, running. So we're gonna get into that in just a minute. But yeah, this weather is pretty perfect for that kind of stuff. It's a nice welcome home. So, yes, yeah. yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, uh, Michael, I was looking at your bio, your resume. I mean, it's pretty accomplished here. It's like so. I mean, it would take it would take a couple minutes just to go through each things. So um, let's just highlight a few things. So you are a seven time Team USA member. Explain that and what that's all about. Absolutely. Uh, so I compete in track and field. Track and field has multiple events. You have the jumps, sprints, throws, relays. People usually recognize those right away. But then there's many events like the steeplechase, the triple jump, uh, the hammer throw, and then of course mine, the race walk, which sometimes aren't at the forefront of the press, the forefront of people's minds that mm -hmm. are familiar or loosely familiar with the, the Olympic events and Olympic sport of track and field. Uh, so the race walk is what I can specialize in. Um, you want me to go into how I got that started or later? Yeah, yeah, no, let's get into that. So I, I ran one year at Boardman High School. Uh, I primarily focused on wrestling uh, for the legendary Dom Mancini mm -hmm. and uh, played football four years. Uh, you know, I played with people like Corey Lindsley, uh, John Greco, who've gone to the NFL. So I, I, I had was around a lot of really high profile people that just had a good attitude. Um, but I never excelled that much in football. I did. did I, I had some a few good plays. Uh, wrestling was my most promising. So I went to college to wrestle. So those those were my two sports So track. I only did one year, but that one year was just enough to plant a seat under another legend, Dave Pavlansky. Yes. And Denise Gorski. Mm -hmm. So um, when I went to college, I went to Youngstown State, actually. This takes a little twist. I, I tried to play football in college, went to Youngstown State. Uh, at the time, it was John Haycock, Coach Eddie. Mm -hmm. uh, wonderful people. I asked for a tryout. My films never got sent, so that ended that. I asked uh, another we're talking a lot of big names here. Brian Gorby, mm -hmm. a credible friend of mine to this day. Um, you know, we're one family in this sport and we work together. And uh, I asked for, for a tryout and he did me the biggest favor by saying, hey, look, I could I recruit division one athletes. You only had one year. It's probably not going to work out. 
And at the time, that wasn't what I wanted to hear as I looked at all his title rings on his desk and, <laughs> you know, saw that being a part of my hometown program in Youngstown at Youngstown State. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. But what it did is it pushed me into something much bigger uh, than myself than I could have imagined. So Youngstown State didn't have wrestling. So I also tried wrestling. I tried to really continue. You could tell here I wanted to compete for a yeah. collegiate team. That was yeah. that was my dream just to mm -hmm. compete in college. And there's no wrestling. I tried to start a club that didn't happen. Um, and so I wrestled unattached with a Y on my singlet at Kent State. Uh, the Kent, uh, another father of a Fitch wrestler who wrestled for Kent came up to me and his name was uh, Chine. Last name is Chine. And he said, and they were Austin Town. Uh, they're well, they were well known athletes at Austin Town Fitch at the same time I was at Boardman. And he said to me, uh, I don't think Youngstown State has a wrestling team, do they? I said, no, they don't. He goes, where'd you get that hoodie and that singlet? I said, I screen printed it in my friend's basement. <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me, so are they getting a program? This con this conversation evolved to me sharing my desires to wrestle in college. And um, he suggested that, hey, Kent State's uh, – we're pretty stacked at D1. It's highly competitive to get a scholarship at D1. Mm -hmm. He said, I did hear of a college, though, because um, I was looking at Baldwin-Wallace, Mount Union. He said, there is a D1, uh, sorry, an NAI school. Didn't even know what NAI was at the time in Cleveland called Notre Dame College. Yeah. And so I was like, Notre Dame? He's like, not that Notre Dame. It's called <laughs> Notre Dame College. I never heard of Notre Dame College up until that moment. And this, then I reached out to them. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up getting recruited by uh, Frank Romano. Uh, probably one of the most knowledgeable and experienced collegiate wrestling coaches at any level. And he had, you know, 41 years coaching experience at that point at Kent wow. State. Yeah, various colleges. He actually recruited Don Mancini, my high school coach. Yeah. Uh, he didn't wrestle for him at Kent, but it, it's kind of unique how things came full circle. Mm -hmm. I guess I went in this place. <laughs> and uh, and and Don was impressed because I certainly was not a, uh, you know, wasn't picked to be the collegiate wrestler out of my class, uh, at least not at first sight. And so... I end up talking to Frank Romano on the phone saying, look, I'd love to wrestle for Notre Dame. He said, look, here's the deal. Uh, I, need, I got state champs coming in. I need drill partners. I'm going to show up every day. He goes, that's why I recruited you. He goes, you're going to show up. You're going to keep your grades up. You're going to stay out of trouble. You do that. You keep your scholarship. And it was small. It was like $1,000 a semester for, you know, a $24,000. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I needed financial aid, you know, immensely, or I'd never survive it. Sure. Right. Uh, so I, I did transfer. Uh, from Youngstown. But before interesting, I do have an interesting note. Before I transferred from Youngstown State, I did play semi-pro football hmm. for the uh, Panthers at the time. Do you remember them? I I don't I don't think so. They I... became the hard hats. Okay. But they were called the Panthers. We used to practice at uh, Wilson High School. Oh in wow. the in the and, and then Rayan Stadium. Then it was Rayan's football stadium. Okay. So we went through Wilson and Rayan and practiced at their stadiums before oh, wow. they were, you know, of course demolished. Uh and so I had my my you know a little bit of Youngstown. When, when was this? 2005, 2006. Okay. I was living in Columbus at the time. So that's probably why I don't quite remember it. <laughs> no, but... that's okay. That's so so that that's just my like little bit of you know glimmer of hope and you know young. Yeah, sports, yeah, no, right? that's cool. And that's I, really you know, cool. I didn't play for the Penguins, but I had a little bit of that city feel. Yeah. And representing our area. So it was brief. But um, then I went to Notre Dame College, uh, wrestled two years, was like six string. I mean, we had not we had three national champs, uh, one in one of my weight classes. The team became a national champion from a new team to unheard of, like a national championship team in four or five years. So I I was never gonna get anything more than a Rudy moment. Um, and and so I walked onto the tr uh, cross country and track programs. I always had that yearning. This goes back to the boardman. Pavlansky told me on my birthday once, and Ed Lewis, who was a football coach mm -hmm. as well. Do you remember him? I do. Uh, 
on my 17th birthday, they pulled me aside before a track meet. And Dave says, I'm going to have you run the two mile today. And I ran the two mile and I did well. And then he pulls me aside and this is my birthday. And he goes, Hey, I want to talk to you, Mike. He goes, I think you should consider. He goes, I know you're obsessed with football and you love, you're dedicated to the football Mm -hmm. team and that's your thing. I want you to think about something. You should consider coming out for track and field, but more importantly, cross country in the fall. I think you should really think about this. And he said, don't give me an answer today. Just Mm -hmm. think about it and get back to me in a couple days and let me know. And so I asked the football uh, coach at the time, uh, Brian Trelesky, mm-hmm. if he could, uh, if I could do both. And they said, no, you can't do both sports like that or like soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you have to pick one. You can't sure. try to do varsity both sports. So my dream was to play for Youngstown State, as we knew mm-hmm. uh, earlier. And so um, I said to Pav, I'm sorry, but no. And he said, that's all right. I wish you well. So here we come. This is now all of a sudden pulling at my heart when I'm at Notre Dame wrestling, and I don't know why. Yeah. And uh, so I went out for the cross country. It took a lot of convincing for the cross country coach and the track coach to even let me have a tryout. Um, and so I, they finally had nothing to lose. I convinced them that I just, Hey, look, I'll try to keep up with the team. Mm-hmm. Didn't tell anybody on the team about the pressure, but I, uh, I stayed up with them. I ended up doing very well. We had a time trial and I, I, I finished like third to last. So I beat a few kids on scholarship, mm-hmm. which shocked people. That's when the respect, you know, a little bit of respect. Yeah. And, um, then I came in, went to wrestling, came into the tracks. You know, my promise to Romano was I wouldn't get hurt and I'd be out there first day of wrestling. So I come in the, and I think he let me do it to stay fit, stay out of trouble and help, you know, good yeah. name for the school, good name for the wrestling program, which for was sure. new. Come out for track, throw a javelin. I run the 800. I scored like one point, maybe in the 800 conference. I was last, uh, but I scored lower. Sorry. I was eighth out of eight, which got me a point. Yeah. You know, right. Nothing promising, but getting better mm-hmm. javelin i was definitely not a great javelin thrower but that throws coach who was saw that javelin was not going to go very far for me he had me try the race walk dave Bellar, and i never heard of race walking until this and he said it's in nationals it's at our conference meet actually and it's an olympic event i said are you serious mm-hmm. i had it's a misnomer when you hear the name walking mm-hmm. into in a sport in a competitive event no doubt so i i had a whole new world ahead of me um I tried it out. He smiled, which he very rarely smiled at my performances. <laughs> so that's the first time I saw that smile. So I knew it was on to something. They wouldn't let me try that year because I was on, you know, wrestling team primarily. It was too late in the season. They didn't want me to get hurt or be demoralized if I got disqualified. Because sure. if you're bad at race walking, it looks even worse than if you're bad at running. <laughs> right. So uh, right, right. it already is sure. scrutinized. Mm-hmm. So I came out the next year. Um, I was the first walk on in school history to qualify for nationals. Uh, to shorten this four years, became the first ever male All-American in track and field in 100-year history. Wow. Uh, and their first ever national champion, male or female. Uh, currently the only, but I, I say to the team yesterday, the first, not the last national mm-hmm. champ for uh, Notre Dame College in track and field. That's awesome. So thank what you. a great story. So thank you. So cool to hit. And and so many of those, uh, I, I played football for Coach Pavlansky. He's been a guest on our show. Um, I actually coached his niece at Boardman. So it's a, it's a nice full circle moment for me too. uh, hearing, hearing names like that. Denise Gorski, probably the best athletic director at Boardman, um, that has has ever had. And she was a legendary track coach. She was So, And the funny part is you probably surprised you because she coached the women's team. Yes. But the thing was, you know, I, growing up, I, you know, definitely struggled through school, um, Mm -hmm. early on and, 
she'd always treated everybody well. Yes. And I mean, everybody. So Denise Gorski made sure nobody got left behind. Mm-hmm. And she didn't care if you were on the guys team or the girls team. Mm-hmm. She made sure she checked in, even though she had a lot on her plate. Yes. She would just check in with you and encourage you. Mm-hmm. And she may not have known it at the time, but it was just what I needed. That's and it was awesome. just because because I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Like, so yeah, you're right. 16, you're figuring it out. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, I struggled, like I said, through school. I was new to the track team. I only did one year. But just that character she had and that genuine. She treated you like you were one of her kids. Mm-hmm. And and I you don't see that very often. No. Mostly people stay in their lane. They don't reach out to other kids and other programs or other teams or gender mm-hmm. teams. And she did that. And uh, that that speaks to me. That's always why when I've seen her get all these accolades in her career, I smile going, they got it right. Yeah. They got it right. 100%. No doubt. No doubt. And I'm glad you gave her the shout out because she is a wonderful, wonderful person. So, um, Michael, let's let's go into this. So the military, how did you get into that then? How'd you get into in, in the Air Force? So after Notre Dame College and you're doing excellent with the sequence here, you're going right in the sequence. <laughs> it's, you're not even, I don't even know if you realize it, but so right after I graduate, right, you have seven school records. You're at, you know, U.S. Talent ID camps. You're now the first Notre Dame grad to compete at like nationals yeah. against Olympians and such and nationally ranked team members. Um, I made my first team in 2011, which was the Pan Am Games. So I, I moved home to Youngstown with my mm-hmm. mother and my stepfather. I trained, you know, full time, trained over in uh, Brownlee Woods at my friend's treadmill, yeah. Dave Frieda. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a proud 330. Uh, that's actually one of his chance for not any, it's a coincidence with your, uh, with your show, but he, uh, he, you know, I had support from a few good friends and my parents let me live at home for, you know, they, they let me do that so I could focus. Um, and so I ended up the Pan Am games was the first shot and it was right. It's a big meet next biggest to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then the next year was the trials. I got sick before the 50 K finished ninth. I finished fifth though, at the 20 K. So I kept going up to 2016. It was a struggle. And, uh, and it was a struggle because I, I worked part-time at the YMCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do odd jobs and I would train and, you know, I really, it was hard to know what to do because it's such a, it's such a unique and it's such a small circle of a sport. Yeah. And, and uh, you're like one of one mm-hmm. to be at that level, you know, in Youngstown, Ohio, trying to make that level. Not only think about being a track athlete in the trials, you got maybe one or two from here, which is really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for those, it's really impressive, but to now be a race walker, now you're talking even a smaller, more difficult. It's like speaking a language only a few people speak sure. and they're far away from you. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot to learn, big learning curve. Uh, up to I made the tr- I made the podium in 2016 uh, at the trials, and I did not have the time standard. So you don't I didn't get to go to Rio. Uh, you know we all know that you got to have the time standard. It's just what it is. But mm-hmm. to make that podium and finish top three, standing on the podium with two other Olympians, uh, was just one of the most incredible moments of my life. Um, and there's so much behind that, so much struggle, so much of doubt. Sport and aside from sport, through my life, through childhood of struggling, you know, what was Market Street School? I was always in trouble as a kid and, you know, as a child, right? Right. And there was other factors that played into it um, that led to this, but I had to come a long way. And Mm -hmm. so it just meant a lot. Plus, plus I had a child, my first son born 11 days later. uh, So the prize money helped. Um, But this is where things came to a head. At that point, I'd already made five U.S. teams. Um, actually, I was about to make my sixth uh, at that time. And no, no, it was my fifth team. I mean, the, the world te- the world team champs. And so what happened was I now have a family and I got to figure out how to make this work 
taking care of not only myself, not only paying my school loans, mm -hmm. I can't even afford to move out of my mother's house. Um, and now I have to uh, figure out how to take care of my family. And mm -hmm. my wife trusted me. I don't think many people would have done this. She let me get up into the Olympic trials to figure out, make the prize money at the trials, stayed calm, even though she's, you know, eight months pregnant. <laughs> and, um, and at that point, I decided to move to Toronto, Canada. She sponsored me. And what she did was she was working three jobs. Well, not very long. She was about to have her first child. Right. So now things shifted 180 because she knows she can't work anymore for at least temporarily. I'm there waiting on a work visa. So I would go back and forth to the States in Canada and work wow. uh, in the States, save enough money to go back and help her with the baby. And then, and of course, race walking and training, trying to make up for the whole time. So I moved, we decided to move to South Carolina. She's now on a, a tourist visa, 2017, the train with another US teammate. He quits three weeks after I go down there. So uh, needless to say, that kind of pulled the rug from under us. She's about to go back to Canada, which she eventually did for medical care because she was pregnant with her second child. Plus, she was on a visa. So she we made sure not to overstay it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out through this whole time how to sponsor them to come to the States because I couldn't work in Canada. Mm -hmm. So we're learning the hard way really fast. <laughs> well, in that time in South Carolina, I got hired at a running store and I, I thrived there. I had great, great owners who took me under their wing, were very patient. And I, I th I'd like to say I paid it back a bit by helping, you know, good customer service and selling product. Yeah. And then I took that skill. I got my work visa in Canada and then I moved back to Canada. <laughs> so this is coming to the military in a second before I got that, you know, chance to move back to Canada with my wife. I already started talking to recruiters during that time in South Carolina. I was reluctant to move back because I was like, I want to make away from my family here. The U S is what I know. Sure. Um, it wouldn't happen that smooth, but I started talking to recruiters after I met my late father, his brother was a Vietnam War vet in the Air Force, and I didn't know this, but he was my father's best friend, and he's one of the most upstanding, humble people I've met. That's sure, fair enough, but then I met his son, who's my cousin. Uh, we look like brothers, but we're completely different. He's got a he's soft-spoken Southern draw from Georgia, and we hardly knew each other, hardly at all, other than funerals, like my dad's funeral and such. And he came to my races, okay. and then he showed a lot of support, and we got pretty close while I was down there. And that still wasn't enough to join the Air Force. I had a customer come in the store and a veteran and he bought shoes. And after 20 minutes, he goes, wow, you really know your shoes. How do you know your shoes so much? Like, do you run or something? I said, yeah, I'm a runner and I'm a race walker. And he went, huh, a race walker. Mm -hmm. What is that? So I explained it to him. Then he went from kind of laughing to being very impressed. Mm -hmm. And this conversation led him to saying, are you any good? And I said, yes. And he said, are you ranked in the country? I said, yes. He said, what are you? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. He said, are you top 10? I said, yes. He, I said, he goes, what are you? And uh, my store manager finally goes, he's number two in the country. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, what's number one doing? Well, he said, I don't want to be mean to you, but you have a kids and you know, everything you told me he goes, well, how are you managing at a shoe store part-time yeah. and trying to make the Olympics? Like, how does that work? And so I explained to him that it's there. It's hard to get sponsors. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not only me, it's male, both men and women in the sport race walking, especially have a hard time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was on food stamps at the time and um, you know, EBT and WIC uh, for my, for my wife and our, our infant. And, uh, you know, it's pretty humble times at the moment. And so he says, what's the number one in the country do? I said, well, he's a full-time race walker for the army called the world-class athlete program member. Okay, yeah. His name is captain. Now he's captain John Nunn. He says, why don't you try that program? I said, I called them in 2012. I don't have the Olympic standard, so I'm not going to get in. Uh, but they could always welcome you to join the army. <laughs> and so I, you know, of course with the Olympic dreams, I am not 
getting that program opportunity. I said, no, thanks. Uh, so he says, try the Air Force. I said, well, the Air Force would be hard to get into. He said, did you look? I said, no. And he goes, well, check it out. My store manager's balancing my two customers. He says, quickly, make it quick. We got a few people I need you on the floor. So he, we checked out what they need. A letter from your federation, your national governing body, it means, and top 10 in the country. That Air Force vet pat me on the back and he goes, good luck. And that was the, what started it. So it started from me trying to race walk for the Air Force. You can imagine the confusion when I call talk to these recruiters. <laughs> they didn't even know this program existed yeah. because there's only 13 of us right now. It's very exclusive, very small. Um, and it's just now getting better promoted and better, uh, mm -hmm. better um, I would say, uh, awareness amongst the troops, even amongst recruiters as a recruiting piece. Sure. So – you can imagine the confusion is I want to compete and make the Olympics represent the air force. I'm on fire. I'm like, I could represent my country. I said, I'd be a great, you know, troop after my service. And they're like, hold up. That's not how this works. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. but we do have security forces open for you, you know, so they're already <laughs> ready to kind of spin this back. So needless to say, I didn't get in. My wife's now pregnant with our second child and is by herself in Canada. So I swallow my pride and I said, I'm going to come back to this later. I got to go back to my wife and kids mm -hmm. and take care of them. I tried, took me two months to get a job in Canada. We lived in a one bedroom uh, apartment, which is all we could afford. Uh, it was pretty rough. It was cockroach. We ended up having cockroaches that we couldn't get rid of. And, uh, you know, this is uh, definitely not what I wanted. We, we tried to get housing. We just wasn't. Yeah, right. So, so you can imagine this is just jumping from one fire to another. And, um, I finally get a job at a running store up there. Uh, okay. Actually, it's just like our their equivalent of Dick's Sporting Goods. And I moved up into a full-time footwear advisor. So I excelled at that. The whole time behind the scenes, I, I had this roller coaster of trying to get in the Air Force. I ended up talking to 12 recruiters over the course of two years to the point to where they had they were about to probably get rid of my file. <laughs> but finally, this one recruiter in New York, had he had grace which led him to send me to another recruiter when he, when what was appropriate. And this other recruiter, you know, knew like, we don't know what this guy's doing. He says he wants to join. He's in another country. Sure. We, apparently he's waiting for his wife's green card. You know, this is not an air force problem, but I, I'll give him a, he, so he gave me a call. He goes, here's what you're going to do. I'm not going to talk to you until you submit this paperwork, you get it done. Mm -hmm. And what he didn't know was before that call, that was different from all the other recruiters. My stepfather kindly joint sponsored, which means if I died or we were separated, he would be responsible financially for my wife if she was in the States. Okay. I was told no by about six or seven people that I asked prior for very good reasons. It's a lot to put on someone's plate that they're financially responsible for somebody else's spouse. Sure. Um, I don't blame them. So my stepfather, Brian McGowan, he signed on and said I'd be the joint sponsor. And I told him, I said, I'll never ask you for money. He said, I know. I, but he also knew that's the only way my mother would probably see her grandkids. So it worked out. I, I'm thankful for that. And um, with him showing his income, now it met the requirement for the United States to sponsor someone because my okay. my measly, uh, you know, earnings from track and field and a part time employee at YMCA and other jobs and Pizza Joe's delivery and stuff. Mm -hmm. It didn't cut it. And sure. you need three tax years to making over 20 grand at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I knew very black and white. You can't you're never this wall. This is never going to move. That's why I went to Canada to begin with. Uh, little did I know that that growing experience in Canada would prepare me for the Air Force and all this struggle to thrive. Sure. And in athletics still. So so what happens is my wife gets her green card in uh, June of 2019. We came back. So that's when I got back to that recruiter who was brief and said, I already know who you are. I've already heard that you've been trying to get in. 
you're, I'm not going to talk to you until you get me these forms. Mm -hmm. I talked to him later and he said, the reason I gave you a chance is he said, there's no way as a father that another father with two kids is going to waste his time calling us this many times to try. He says, he said, I just let the air force decide if you're meant to get in. I just do my job to process you. Mm -hmm. And they decide if you're in or not, not me. Okay. I think that's very fair. Yeah. So I got in, I move in back to the States three months later on Chester Rav, Chester Drive and Boardman slash well, Midlothian area yeah. with my family. I'm in boot camp just weeks later, 2019. Um, then I get out of boot camp. I won PT tests, started to take notice of the M even the MTIs started to take notice that I was, you know, the old second oldest guy in the flight. And I'm beating, you know, 700 people in PT tests mm -hmm. and in running, of course. And it started to become a kind of a, that made me stand out. I ended up trying to help other people at PT there and then at tech school. Now I go to tech school and a friend of mine who's a race walker, uh, tech sergeant Fernando, uh, he's in New Jersey. He reached out to Air Force Sports and said, hey, you got a guy that's qualified for the trials. He doesn't probably know the process. Reach out to him. Sure. So I go to tech school. I'm told, hey, you're in tech school now. You don't leave tech school. unless. And what it's like, is tech school? Tech school is where you learn your actual job. They call it MOS okay. school yeah, in yeah. the Navy and mm -hmm. I think the Marines and Army. Sure. It's basically after boot camp, they waste no time. They send you there because they're paying you to learn your job yeah. to basically support the mission. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's like a very important. So I consider like people consider boot camp that say like prison, right? Because you're you, you, know, you ain't leaving. It's very structured. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a controlled environment. Tech school is a little bit more, I'd say, like purgatory. You know, mm -hmm. you have a little bit of leeway, but you still are there to learn. You ain't, you know, technically, you're not supposed to leave unless it's like a Red Cross emergency okay. or it's like a holiday and they let you all go. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens is COVID's around the corner, but thankfully mm -hmm. this is right like a week before that stuff started coming out. I got um, an exception of policy, first ever in Air Force history to compete at the Olympic trials. Um, I had a letter from my USA track and field and a letter from Air Force Sports that went up all the way the chain, took a day shy of a month for my squadron commander to approve it. And you can imagine the confusion with Metro, my leadership going sign here. And they're looking at me going, so apparently you're like an Olympic athlete. And I said, well, <laughs> almost not yet. And, uh, and, uh, now I'm representing the air force. So I yeah. can't tell you that the nervousness, cause I'm learning the air force and the military life. And I'm also the pride to now represent something bigger than I've ever represented. No doubt. And so they send me out strictly. I had to show I would miss zero class. I had to show that I, my grades at the time were still good. I had to be mm -hmm. average at the moment. And I flew out to California, finished sixth. COVID hit. I finished six out of 17 or 18 competitors with very little. I used to get up at four in the morning, five in the morning, the train, only Marines were out there bear crawling. Little did I know this earned the respect of all the Marines uh, later. And I became very close with the Marines. Um, and that paid off later, which I, I still to this day keep in touch with some of them. Um, so I come back, COVID hits, everything's locked mm -hmm. down. No Olympics in 2020. Yeah. I held a world ranking of 33rd for wow. eight months in a U.S. ranking of sixth. That was like the top in the Air Force at the time. Sure. And there was no Olympics, right? So I ended up earning a male athlete of the year out of 500,000 in the, you know, in the total force, they have male and female athlete of the year. At that time, that became my highest, you know, athletic recognition of my life. I'd say for most, that would yeah. be, be up there. One, the first out of 500,000. Yes. That's pretty impressive. Yes. So this is a Vast change from only a year ago, living in a cockroach infested one bedroom apartment yeah. to, you know, in Toronto. And I, and, and, and it's hard to make it if you, your income doesn't match what the living costs are. And, and there's too many people for the housing available, like a big city, like yeah. Toronto, Toronto was amazing. Mm -hmm. The lessons I learned paid off, but of course I'm thinking 
how can I do better for my family? Yeah. So this whole Air Force thing, even when the lockdown, even though I'm away from my family, she's in Youngstown here with our two infants. I thought you're on your way to a better life than you ever knew mm -hmm. than your family would ever have otherwise. And no other opportunity probably would have done this for you so quickly. So long story short, I am now about to get deployed. I get athlete of the year. I'm deployed a month later. Wow. And uh, to the Middle East right after the Afghanistan pullout. But I went to Saudi. So uh, thankfully, there was, uh, you know, a uh, different, I guess, a different uh, vibe there. But um, it was also tra all these things tra transformative for me. I got better at my job in the chapel corps there. I work with the chaplains. I'm enlisted uh, religious affairs airman. And uh, while I was there, you know, what happened was I met someone in Air Force Sports who used to be the director, and he remembered me calling Air Force Sports in 2017. It was his boss, basically, mm -hmm. his civilian boss, who said, uh, you, you won't believe this. Some race walker wanted to call me to race walk for the Air Force. At the time, it wasn't fertile for that type of situation. Sure. Now they recruit Olympic athletes. Uh, not all. It has to be the right uh, match. Mm -hmm. Um, but those who are willing, you know, athletes are willing to serve something bigger than themselves. They're usually disciplined, goal oriented, yep. all things that the military wants, mm -hmm. all things that they forge, all things that they reward and pay off, not just in that, but also in life. Yeah. And so this guy laughed and said, we now try to recruit Olympians and they, we've recruited like two, you know, high profile athlete, us team athletes in the pentathlon and a female uh, skeleton athlete sure. who did go to the Olympics, who she got in and had stability a roof over her head, food. She could focus mm -hmm. on training. Now Kelly Curtis is an Olympian, thanks to the Air Force. You know, being the sealing the deal for her fate. Whereas I told him, I couldn't afford to do what it took. Right. You know, before I was in the military, mm -hmm. and he laughed and said, "Well, are you going to make the U.S. team?" And I said, well, "I'm. How am I going to do that, sir? We're in the Middle East." And he and he said, and then it this conversation evolved. They ended up having an exception of policy uh, for me to come to California. Uh, to make the U.S. team, okay. and I wasn't again. I haven't made a U.S. team in five years. But they said basically he was trying to give me an opportunity, an equal opportunity, because to my non-deployed peers that are going to apply for the world-class athlete program, mm -hmm. I not only got the last spot on the U.S. team, and now I'm a U.S. Team now, so I qualified my first time qualified for a U.S. team in five years. Then I'm on, you know, now I'm part of Team USA once again. Unbelievable, and I'm deployed. I go back to Saudi Arabia. We're in a lockdown and everything. Yeah. And I'm, I'd like it's a, it's such a contrast of emotions. But mm -hmm. you stay posed, you know, this making a U.S. team, you're going to ride out a pandemic pretty high. Oh yeah. Uh, so, so what happens now is, um, uh, he's they I reapplied because I went to Oman, which was a neighbor of Saudi Arabia for the World Team Race Walking Championships, and I was the third American. Uh, Nate said, you got to be top three. And I said, how do I go from finishing fifth at national six weeks later to finishing top three? Well, thankfully, thankfully enough, it happened. So I reapplied. My package for the world-class athlete program was getting going to get denied, I found out, mm -hmm. while I was deployed. So I reapplied with a stronger, much stronger package now. And um, I got in June 2016 after my deployment. I got back. I've only been back a month. And I found out I got in. So now I cut orders to move to San Diego to train with the U.S. team members out there, which the highest number of U.S. team members, I think there's four or five, including myself, five, in San Diego. And so I'm out there to train with them, and there's two of them are Olympians. Um, so I end up getting orders, and I'm thinking, this has been my dream for mm -hmm. over a decade, to be in San Diego, to train with them, to have that Olympic experience. Whether I make the Olympics or not, you know, you time will tell. The point is, you got to live your dream to be a legit professional paid athlete and a race walker is your sport uh, amongst all sports right mm -hmm. i'm not a high profile you know it's not the nfl sure so for right. this to happen 
like no matter what it's like you're living your dream mm -hmm. and it's like it's almost hard you almost have to catch your breath yeah. because it's hard to believe that that really is amazing thank you um so you've listed a lot of people that have influenced you along the way um what you know you i think you have that self that self-taught motivation of i think that brings us back to youngstown too it really does it's like this area we we always talk about what makes youngstown special like and it's the hard work that blue collar and i think obviously your story is embodies that whole mentality so um you know do you think that has helped your uh you know helped your cause along the way being from here i absolutely i there's no doubt everything that i've mentioned you know even living in canada even living in south carolina and everything that's been had the struggles has formed character has formed mm -hmm. intelligence has formed life experience to help you make better choices but even before those and when i grew up playing football at boardman even before then i realized very early in my life your recognition and success here is very hard earned mm -hmm. nobody gets a free ride sure right um everybody has to earn based on their performance no doubt and so that is what i learned early no one's going to give you uh anything and, mm -hmm. and sometimes you're going to think you already earned it you still won't get it youngstown taught me that it's hard earned. it's hard to get that recognition here and what it did was is it forges that resilience you either quit right oh this mm -hmm. isn't fair there's too much you know politics i'm quitting the football team or i'm quitting this team but what happened was um I joined wrestling to get better at football. And mm -hmm. Don Mancini is nobody to give a free compliment. But when you're in someone's respect who is actually harder on you, yeah. like Don Mancini, and right. he, he would love that. The thing is, it shows that, okay, that's valid. This mm -hmm. is not somebody's emotion. This is like, this is legitimate respect, legitimate feedback. No doubt. And so it just starts to snowball. And you remember all the hard times that you didn't get respect. You remember all the hard times you've been made fun of. You remember the times you were encouraged to quit because you're not a good athlete. And that did happen. It's funny. I've there's times I've been told I've, you know, you're not meant to play sports. You're not a good athlete. Um, you're not, you know, you're too dumb to know you're not a good athlete. And it's just to come from that to now see, and that that's not Youngstown. It's just, you know, you deal with people yeah, that you, right, you know, it, right. it happened to be maybe in Youngstown. But the thing is, I find people project what maybe their insecurities are on other people. No doubt. Um, yep. You know, Jim Trestle never told me to quit. Yeah, you know what right, I mean? Uh, right. So the point is, you know, champions don't typically do that. Mm -hmm. uh, people who know what it takes. That forged that fight in me. The Youngstown mm -hmm. forged that fight in me to really get after it because no one's going to give you a free success there is no free ticket there is no fast track to success you there is no substitute to i hate to say it you're going to fail you're going to be disappointed mm -hmm. you're going to want to give up a hundred times but the ones who make it are the ones who still come back anyway love it that, that i mean that's a great lesson for sports for life for everything so um thank you for sharing that so what's next for you like so what like you're talking Olympics. What, what are we talking about here? So I've worked my way back um, and I'm still easing back in the race walk specific training from a long lingering injury. I had a torn adductor and a little bit of a tear in my right mm -hmm. labrum. So those really sidelined me for a while, which is funny because I got to San Diego, got hurt like basically a month <laughs> later and, and it was going to happen anyway. I sure. already saw signs of it in my deployment, uh, but I couldn't get the medical uh, diagnosis while I was deployed. So once I got it back, stateside and started to figure out what's going on i just you know until i had to deal with that injury now it's all staying healthy mm -hmm. and preparing and getting as fit and ready as i can to represent the air force um and everyone that supported me even in youngstown to represent youngstown ohio you know second soul sorelli jewelers pizza joe's outdoor rec uh just to name some of the supports that have um 
been good to me here. Uh, and the goal is to try, oh, also De Niro's cheese. Uh, yeah, yeah. And okay. so try to represent and make the best you can. Um, and, and represent them well is done by staying healthy, mm-hmm. getting fit as I can to prepare for those trials and perform the best you can optimally on that day. And I'm also trying to qualify for, there's two race walk events. The second is the 20K in June. I'm trying to qualify for those trials. So I'm trying to qualify for both Olympic trial races and whatever happens, happens, but I'm going to do my very best. And that my focus now is on the process because the process takes care of the results. No doubt. No doubt. Great, great um, story. Great. I, I love it. Where can people find you online? Uh, so I have a LinkedIn, a Michael Manazzi. Uh, my Facebook, I have a Facebook. It's Michael J. Manazzi. And my Facebook page is Michael J. Michael Giuseppe Manazzi, the Italian Stallion. That goes back to my nickname. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah so actually, I'll t- uh, well, I'll give my uh, handles. And then Twitter is uh, Michael Manazzi. Instagram is Michael Manazzi. I also have a YouTube with the same name. Okay. So pretty much you could find me on any of those. I haven't got ventured into TikTok yet um, uh, debating on that, but you know, I need to make time for my family too. I can't, no doubt. Be, yeah. can't you know, it's hard to keep up with all the socials. I, 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 <laughs> I, I make time for my schedule and then it's make sure it's time. That's not done with work, training, mm-hmm. family. Absolutely. I love it. Um, now give some advice, whether someone's a sprinter, a marathon runner, a race walker, whatever it might be, give someone out there that might be watching, listening, a piece of advice. You know, you've told a really good story of, you know, overcoming a lot of obstacles, struggles uh, to get where you're at now. Uh, give, give someone out there a piece of advice to maybe help them eventually get to where you're at now. Uh, if it's hard, do it anyway. And the thing is, the key is not to be great. The key is to get started. And getting started might be asking a random person you don't know. Um, uh, your biggest asset is people. Mm-hmm. Your biggest asset is knowledge. How do you get those? You have to do something uncomfortable. You have to read a book. You have to take time to Google something you have no idea if you're going to find. Mm-hmm. You have to take time to message someone you don't know if they're going to respond and understand you or want to help you. And you're going to have the door slammed on you. But you know what? You go on to the next one and you try again. And I find that that is the key. The key is just being persistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I find persistence trumps knowledge, talent, money. Um, because if you're willing to get uncomfortable a little bit and step outside your comfort zone, that's where the growth happens. And that's where, and, and you know, who wants to be uncomfortable? But after the fact, when you see what you become and you mm-hmm. start and you live your dream, you become the person you envisioned and the person that you, a version of you 20 years later would look back on that younger you and you would be proud of. That's when you know it's all worth it. So get comfortable being uncomfortable. Ab- absolutely. And the Italian stallion, speaking of that, my my biological father, uh, James Minazzi, they called him Russ, he, uh, he had MS and he died due to it. He couldn't walk for the last 10 years of his life. And so I looked at his life and that spoke volumes. Even though he didn't say anything to me complaining, watching his journey and his struggle. And unfortunately, you know, his, his time here come to a close in such an awful manner with MS. It left a profound impact on me as a husband, father, and also as an athlete. So the nickname of the Italian Stallion of USA Track and Field, that was my tribute to my dad because he was always proud to be a Manazzi, proud to be Italian. And when he died, him and my grandfather, Manazzi, they died within a year of each other. So it was like that candle was snuffed out, that pride to be a Manazzi. They weren't mm-hmm. pride as an arrogance, but they had a work ethic about them and they knew where they came from and they didn't forget it. And so 
when my when I saw my dad's funeral and at the cemetery, I knew it was my time to carry the torch. And so when I, I said, if I could be good at something, I'm going to do that for my dad. That's awesome. And so the Rocky mantra always reminded me of my dad, yeah. even though my dad, you know, different people. But that that grit, that that going after life always reminded me of that in Rocky. And so I thought, you know what, for my dad, this is for you. Love it. Love it. And what a great homage to him as well. Um, so, Michael, want to thank you for coming down. Uh, appreciate it. Hopefully we see you maybe next year in the, yeah. is it London next year? Uh, next year. Uh, so next year is going to be Paris or Paris. Yes. Paris. It's okay. You were only across the channel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so, London was 2012. So you're not far. Okay. Off. Okay. So hopefully we see you there. And then we got LA in 2028. Yeah. So, home soil. So we're going to, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for you. And then let us know, keep us informed how that goes. And hopefully we can have you back, whether it's in studio or virtually and uh, keep updates on this. So that's very Absolutely. exciting. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the big thing, you know, no, no matter what the results are on paper, whether you make the Olympics, you don't make the Olympics. The big thing is I think is how you impact others no and you pay it forward. I think that that's what leaves the long lasting legacy. You know, like even Jesse Owens knew his medals would tarnish, but the friendships you make and the people you impact, that's what lives on through the generations. Love it. Then do you ever think about being a professional uh, motivational speaker? That I might be in your future. I have, but I have not uh, <laughs> ever pursued it yet. Or anything. Um, it might I, be I have, in your future. I have been speaking at different events, but I have not. But thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, thank I'll you that. for coming down. I know you're in town for just a brief time, and we appreciate you stopping by the studio. So thank you. And again, thank you for your service too, to but, our country. We appreciate that. Well, your appreciation uh, makes me honored to serve and, and uh, also have me on the show. Thank you because uh, what, a, what a wonderful full circle to come back on a return to your home roots yeah like just what a what a uh what a magnificent you know homecoming we love it we love it so michael we again we appreciate you keep doing the things you're doing and we're gonna keep in keep in touch and keep tabs on uh on your career going forward so uh thank you again um for everyone out there we're gonna take a quick break about a three minute break here so uh we will be back joe danier and i will be back in about three minutes so uh stay tuned for that